0: Broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University. It's 887 WLUW, Chicago Sound Alliance. Director of Public Relations. 4290 is available only at the station website. Including church, there's no other. Thrilled to be here. Loyola for the student newspaper there, the Loyola of Phoenix. I have to keep pinching myself and <laughs> asking if this is real. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm a poor, starving college student, so I would say I was physically here, but I wouldn't say I was mentally here. Good Sunday morning, everybody. Anything good happened last night on TV? You know, we got a lot to talk about today on the Sunday Sports Shootout here on WLUW 88.7 FM, broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University, Chicago. I'm your host, Nick Schultz. It's awesome to be here for another week. You know, we lost a great one in rock and roll this week in Meatloaf, And, and I've had this song going through my head ever since. One of Meatloaf's biggest songs was I Do Anything for Love. And I've had it going through my head, you know, nonstop. And I'm watching TV last night, and I quote the rest of the song when I say, but I won't do that. And I point to someone wearing Packers gear. Yes, Packers lost last night to the San Francisco 49ers 13-10, to thanks in large part to the leg of Robbie Gold. I feel like Packers fans have seen this movie before. The Bears fans have seen this movie before. I saw a tweet last night that said, I think Bears' Twitter is happier than Niners' Twitter that the Packers lost last night. You know, someone who's smiling somewhere about last night's game because the Packers were the number one seed in the NFC. People were talking Super Bowl. Someone who is somewhere smiling is Les Grobstein, who we also lost this past week, suddenly, at the age of 69. I have no idea what happened. I know people have been asking me what happened to the grober because he was on the air a week before he passed away. Apparently, and this is from Mitch Rosen on The Score, he did an interview, a couple interviews with Mark Grody and David Haw. Apparently, Les called in sick, and he was starting to do better. He was supposed to have a doctor's appointment last Monday. Well, we lost him a week ago today at the age of 69. To call him a legend is an understatement. I mean, as someone who does solo radio every week. Listening to Les's show, I pulled a lot of good lessons from someone who hosts solo for five hours a day, let alone one hour a day. Les Grobstein and Lawrence Holmes are the two hosts I listen to a lot to try and take in, okay, how do they do as a solo host? And the difference with me, I don't even have a producer to talk to. I'm my own producer. So you get me and only me. You don't hear another voice from behind the glass. And when I heard about Grobber, I mean, I, so I was I was off last week. I, w- I was in Las Vegas for a friend of mine's birthday. For some reason, Monday morning, I rolled over at 4 o'clock in the morning Pacific time, so 6 o'clock central, and I've, I have no idea why. Something woke me up. And I checked my phone, and I see an alert come over that says Les Grobstein died, and I'm thinking, I'm dr- I am dreaming. There's no way. This isn't true. I'm going back to sleep. Like, this can't be true. I mean, I just listened to him a week ago. And I woke up later to catch my plane home, and yeah. You know, something that I haven't told many people about, and I've told a few people privately, I know I've never shared it on the air. In December of 2019, I had just finished my internship at NBC Sports Chicago, or at least I was finishing up my internship at the time, depending on when the timeline finishes up here. And I'm starting my job search, you know, applying to a few jobs in Chicago. This is obviously before COVID. And I was still living up there at the time. And I applied for a job at 670 The Score. It was a part-time producer job, which means it was producing the overnight show. And I made it to the second interview. And, you know, that management, Mitch Rosen, we agreed it, it wasn't a good fit. But that's how close I was. If I'm going to make another Marvel reference here with What If and the multiverse. In a different timeline somewhere, I produced Les Grobstein's show. And obviously the rest is history here. I mean, I ended up, I'm still doing this show. I got my job at on three. I wrote for Saturday Tradition. But that stands out to me because I was that close to working with or for the Grobber. So it was just quite a loss this week. Uh, I know Chicago Twitter has been blowing up with tributes, and understandably so. I mean, the guy was a legend. I mean, he, he worked with some guys named Larry Lujack and Tommy Edwards and all those guys at WLS to the point where I brought up to my dad, like, yeah, did you hear about Grabber? He's like, yeah, I listened to Les when he was with Larry Lujack. And my mom says the same thing, because he was their punching bag. But I know him as the overnight host at The Score, and I started listening to him junior year of college when I moved into my apartment. I'm a night owl. I just always have been for some reason. Couldn't sleep. I throw on Les, and i listened to him ever since. I don't know what they're going to do with the overnight show. I keep, I hope they keep it local. But that's just that's quite a loss this week. Condolences to Les Grabstein's family. I can't believe that this is twice in a month I'm up here Remembering somebody in Chicago media because we lost Jeff Dickerson a little less than a month ago, too. Hopefully things get better from here. One team or program, if you will, that Les was very involved with over the years was UIC Flames. He was the voice of UIC basketball for many years. Yesterday, we got the reports about the announcement that we've been waiting for for weeks on the show UIC is joining the Missouri Valley Conference. It's according to multiple, multiple reports. Announcement could come as soon as this week. That's from Harry Schrader, my guy at the Valley Hoops Insider. They would become a member effective July 1, so this will start soon. They're the 12th team in the league. If you've listened to the show for longer than, say, two months, you would know that I have been campaigning for UIC to join the Valley from the beginning. All these people in college basketball circles throwing out these teams. And I was sitting here the whole time on Twitter, on here, saying, why not UIC? Like, I don't know why. UIC was not on the initial list of teams. I know they were talking maybe Missouri-Kansas City was on the list. Texas-Arlington was on the list. Texas-Arlington is going to the whack, by the way. UW-Milwaukee was thrown around on the list. And I'm sitting here the whole time going, why isn't UIC on the list? And I did a I did a live show with my guy Kevin Sweeney the night Loyola announced it was leaving for the A-10. And I, I asked him, I'm like, why isn't UIC a potential candidate here? Well, it turns out UIC was interested, got in touch with the Valley. The Valley was interested. The rest is now history. They're joining July 1. I talked about this on Twitter yesterday, and I even said at the time, it is so tough to convey this over Twitter with however many characters they give us now, 280 or whatever whatever the total is. There are multiple different factors as to why UIC going to the Valley is a great fit, and it's not just basketball, which I'm going to talk about the basketball side. That is a big part of this because the Valley, I've been using this word a lot over the last couple months. The Valley is a basketball-centric league. They are a basketball league. That's the heart and soul of the league. So you've got to look at this from a basketball perspective. We're going to get into the other sports too. But the big perspective here that we need to look at is basketball, and we're going to get to that. But more importantly outside, away from the court. If you're the Missouri Valley and you have presence in Bloomington, Normal, Illinois, Springfield, Missouri, Valparaiso, Indiana, which you could technically, I guess, in a way, consider the Chicago market. I don't do that, and I live just outside the Chicago market. You could consider Valpo. You've got Des Moines, Iowa, which is up-and-coming market. You've got Evansville, Indiana. You're losing a team in Loyola, Chicago from the number three market in the country. And I, I should add, you're getting a presence in Nashville when you're adding Belmont. So if you're if you're a league with those markets in place, if you're in those cities, those towns, those college towns, you have an opportunity to have some kind of a presence in Chicago. Now, the caveat with this, and this is something I've been kinda I'd say disappointed in, but I understand why. Newspaper coverage of college basketball is almost non existent. At the Tribune it was Shannon Ryan and Teddy Greenstein. Teddy Greenstein now works at Points Bet. Shannon Ryan now works for the Athletic. Gavin Good has been doing some work for the Tribune. I I don't know if he's freelance or part-time or whatever. He's been doing great work, but it's one person doing college coverage. And there's Loyola, DePaul, UIC, Northwestern, not to mention Illinois down in Champaign, which still has a lot of Chicago or a lot of alumni in Chicago. At the other paper at the Sun-Times, Steve Greenberg is their college guy. And he is, I believe he said this on his social media. If it's not him, there's not really anybody to do college coverage. And they just lost their Cubs writer because Russ Dorsey's going to Bally Sports. So I know this is, I'm going, this is very inside baseball right now. Like I'm taking you to a part of this whole thing, a level of this whole thing that you normally don't think about. And I understand that. So I'm trying to kind of break it down for you here. It's not about getting these teams in the newspaper. I mean, it is. Every team wants to be in the newspaper. I mean, the thing with Chicago is it's, I know people like, I know Porter Moser used to argue it's a it's a sports town. No, it's a pro sports town. It's a Bears town, actually. College sports kind of get put on the back burner, especially now with the way the media landscape is. What you have to look at if you're the Valley, it's not so much about having the Tribune and the Sun-Times and even the Daily Herald covering game in, game out, because they don't cover game in, game out, just doing some coverage. It's having games on NBC Sports Chicago because you had Loyola Chicago playing games on NBC Sports Chicago. Guess what? They're leaving. They're going to the Atlantic 10. So now you bring in another Chicago school to have their games on NBC Sports Chicago and the Valley TV network. UIC could be mentioned on ABC 7, NBC 5, Fox 32, CBS 2, WGN, that's a lot of people. You're getting eyes on that program. It's a, it's not so much exposure for UIC, getting UIC's name out there. It's getting eyes on the league. You have to think about the senior in high school or the junior in high school who's looking for schools, and they're watching college basketball on TV, or they're watching some thought, Watching the news, if they watch the news, I'm, I'm, I'm lame, I used to watch the news in high school, what of it? If they're watching something and they see Illinois State, Illinois State has a great education program. And I'm not just saying that because my mom went there for education. Illinois State has a fantastic education program and a good nursing program. If somebody looking for schools wants to go into nursing or education and they see, oh, hey, Illinois State had a pretty good basketball team, looks like a fun place, let me do some more research on it and ends up going there, guess what? That's a a product of watching those games and getting that exposure in the Chicago market. There is so much more that goes into it than just the headlines of the paper. And I tried my best to explain this on Twitter yesterday. I really, really did. But there's only so much you can fit in 280 characters. So I knew I would talk about that today because that is huge for the league. Because you keep your presence in the market with an up-and-coming program. Because I'm telling you, you're going to know the UIC men's basketball program in the next couple of years. They hit a home run with their hire of Luke From He was from Texas at the time. He also coached at Michigan. He was on the bench for Michigan in the Final Four and in the National Championship in 2018. He helped take down Loyola in San Antonio. I was there. I remember this. He left Michigan, where he was under John Beeline, to go to Texas under Shaka Smart, who's now at Marquette. UIC fired Steve McLean, who he was okay. He was all right. They fired McLean after I think they finished, they made the championship in the Horizon League Tournament that year. This would have been 2019. Yes, it would have been 2019 season, 2019 and 2020. And they made the championship in the Horizon League Tournament. And guess what? Steve McLean was out. So then they go hire Luke Yachlitch, who had never been a head coach before, but was seen as one of the up and coming assistants in college basketball. This guy recruited for John B line, he recruited for Shaka Smart. He is a great recruiter. He's a great defensive-minded coach. He's starting to turn that program around already. On the basketball court, UIC is going to get there. Now, it's going to take a little bit of an adjustment going from the Horizon League to the Missouri Valley because if you look at the Horizon League, let me list off some of the teams in the Horizon League for you. You have, in addition to UIC, obviously, you have Youngstown State, Northern Kentucky, Cleveland State, IUPUI, Oakland, Milwaukee, Green Bay, Robert Morris, Fort Wayne, Wright State, and Detroit. So that's what you're looking at in the Horizon League right now. In the Valley, obviously, you're getting Belmont and Murray State in, which are that's two really good programs right there. Those are two potential NCAA tournament teams this year right there. You've also got Drake. You've got Northern Iowa, which has been in the NCAA tournament a few times over the years. You've got your Valpos. You've got your Indiana States. You've got your Illinois States, your Bradleys. I mean, you've got – this. the Valley is a good league top down. But you're not going to have these teams like IUPUI, which is 1-17 overall and 0-8 in conference play. To give you an idea, IUPUI scored 37 points in a game as a team – Against Ohio State earlier this week. You're not gonna have Robert Morris, which is three and fifteen. Green Bay, four and fourteen. These are their overall records, by the way. This is not their conference record. Milwaukee, seven and thirteen. Detroit Mercy, six and ten. That is six teams that are under five hundred right now in the Horizon League standings. Now, let's move over to the Valley in the valley overall records wise you have Evansville 4 and 13 they're struggling this year Indiana State 8 and 10 that's it those are the only teams in the Missouri Valley with under 500 records now Northern Iowa is 9 and 9 but they're 5 and 3 in league play i've told you Northern Iowa was going to turn it around you got Bradley at five hundred ten and ten, Valpo at five hundred ten and ten. This is going to be a step up, but I think Luke Yaklich is a good enough recruiter and a good enough coach. He can handle the adjustment to the Missouri Valley. And I'm going over to verbal commits here because they do a great job listing the scholarship charts. And I want to look at who. UIC has on its roster. And I want to look at it in terms of recruiting. Because right now, I mean, it's only year two of the Yachlich era. You're not going to turn around that quick. That's just the nature of college sports. It is very rare that you see teams turn around their programs as fast. So as I go here, as I finally get it to load, this verbal commits does a fantastic job breaking down rosters and star values and whatnot. Right now, as I'm looking through, I don't see many three stars on this roster, but that's okay. They're a horizon league team. When you recruit in the horizon league, it's kind of it's a tougher sell. Because the Horizon League is not known as a very strong league. I mean, he's got Zion Griffin on this team. Now, Zion Griffin was a four-star recruit. But outside of him, you don't have a lot of th- three-stars. But that happens on verbal commits, too. Because when Loyola made the N- the NCAA tournament run in 18, they had, I think, three players listed on verbal commits as higher than two-star recruits. And I think one of them was Clayton Custer, who came in at like a 33 So verb, it's not always accurate with the star values. And I would go to the database we have at On3, but it's still kind of in the works. We're rolling out our On3 recruiting database. Shameless plug. And it's not, it's not quite done yet. So this doesn't have as in-depth as what I have in front of me right now. But all told here, UIC has some pieces it can build around, starting with Zion Griffin. Who, if I'm not mistaken, he is an Illinois kid. He went to Hinsdale South. Started at Iowa State, didn't quite work out. Now is at UIC. So he's a piece right there that you can use as a good recruiting cell. I mean, it's very similar to how Milton Doyle, and I'm not going to compare Zion Griffin's game to Milton Doyle's game. I'm talking just on paper here, black and white. Zion Griffin started at Iowa State. Transferred out, moved closer to home. Milton Doyle obviously started at Kansas State, and there was a bunch of red tape there with why he had the extra year. He transferred to Loyola and basically started turning that program around. You don't have Loyola in the A-10. We're not talking about UIC to the Valley right now without Milton Doyle. Maybe Zion Griffin could be UIC's Milton Doyle. and I'm, I'm reaching here. I am. It's a reach, but you have to understand where I'm coming from as I just knocked my coffee over. This is where I'm coming from with this. Luke Yaklich has UIC's program in a really good spot. So if I'm Jeff Jackson, if I'm the Missouri Valley Conference, that's what I have to look at in addition to keeping the market. Because as I said, Luke, Coach Yachlich, Coach Yach, he has never been a head coach. However, let me read you his resume. He started coaching at LaSalle, Peru High School, by the way, and then coached at Joliet West. He is not unfamiliar with the Valley because he coached at Illinois State from 2013 to 17. I forgot that little detail. He went to Illinois State, by the way, after transferring from Olivet. So all of my... If anyone's listening from around where I live right now in Dwight, Luke Yalkovich knows exactly where Dwight is. Illinois State, 2013-17. Michigan, 2017-19. Texas, 2019-20, before landing his first head coaching job at UIC. He's 45 years old. He has been a part of some really good teams over the years. He was the defensive let's use let's see. I've got enough loyal listeners. He was the defensive coordinator for Michigan in 2018. And then he went to work for Shaka Smart. While Yaklich was on the bench at Michigan in those two years, Michigan went 63 and 15. This guy knows what he's doing and he knows the valley. I remember another team who joined the Valley about, oh, coming up on 10 years ago with a coach who went to Illinois State that was kind of struggling to turn things around after starting a rebuild, and the rest, we know what happened. And now Luke Joklich went to Illinois State, and he's going to be joining the Valley. I think this is an absolute home run addition. If you want to chime in on this, by the way, I haven't said this yet. We're 25 minutes into the show. It's been just me going off about this. Send me a tweet at underscore 7 I promise I'll read as much as I can. One more thing before I move on. I talked about this, I think, a couple weeks ago now. And I can talk about it again because my buddy Wyatt Wheeler tweeted about it yesterday. Go look at the view from Curtis Granderson Stadium or Curtis Granderson Field at UIC's baseball field. Go check out that view because they have the best view in the league now. And they bring a baseball team is the other important part. Okay, I'm done with that. I've broken that down. If, uh, if anyone wants to chime in on that, tweet me, DM me, beat me if you want to reach me. I will pivot back to it. But we got to talk about Loyola as well because we're still covering Loyola on the show. Yesterday, Loyola, Missouri State. Whew. First of all, that was a really good game. It was 35-33 at half before Missouri State kind of pulled away in the second half because Loyola went cold again. Final score 79-69. I just have two words for you. Isaiah Mosley. I have said a couple times this year he's one of my one of if not my favorite player in the league. These are NBA numbers. 14 of 22 shooting, 40 points. Oh, and he had eight rebounds. Missouri State scored 79 points. Isaiah Mosley scored 40. If my math is correct here, he almost doubled Loyola's bench points. There's not much you can do when a guy scores 40 points on you, especially when your best defender gets called for four fouls. Now, I'm not saying they were all legitimate fouls, and at the same time, I'm not saying some of Missouri State's fouls weren't legitimate fouls. It was a rough show yesterday at Gentile, and it went both ways. And I'm not the only one saying that. I don't. I'm not going to. I'm not going to talk about the rest too much. We're coming up on the bottom of the hour anyway. But it was not a very well officiated game yesterday. And the last foul that was called on Lucas Williamson, it was not a foul. I could hear my JV baseball coach who also coaches junior high basketball, the joys of living in a small town, man. I see him all the time when I work up at the bar. I can hear him, I could hear him when that foul was called on Lucas going, that's not a foul. That's not a foul does it all the time. That's basically what I was hearing in my head when that was called. Because when you take Williamson out of the picture defensively, it's a whole different game. Because Lucas would have and I think should have been on Mosley. Let me put it to you this way. You see what Io is doing for the Bulls right now? Iodasumu is having a fantastic rookie season. He's jumped into the starting rotation for the Bulls. He's putting up good numbers for a second-round pick. You realize that in the round of 32 last year, he scored nine points. Do you know who was defending him? I'll let you guess if you keep Lucas Williamson on Isaiah Mosley he's not scoring 40 but then again Isaiah Mosley is such a good one-on-one player that I'm not saying he doesn't I'm not saying he scores nine I think he puts up 15 16 maybe reaches 20 once he gets fouled a few times but you cannot let him start heating up that's when you need your best defender I'm going to go back to something here cuz I think I misspoke. Did I say Porter Moser went to Illinois State? I should have said coached at Illinois State if so. Good catch from P1 follower Matt Rentler. If I said went to Illinois State, I apologize, I total slip of the tongue. Yes, he went to Creighton under Tony Barone. I think that was when I was that when I spilled my coffee, which by the way the coffee's fine. There's a lid on it. But, yeah, that was a slip of the tongue on my part. My bad. Good catch from Matt. Thanks, thanks for listening, too. That shows you. That shows people are paying attention to what I'm talking about. See, that was my whole point. I'm just trying to make sure you're paying attention and listening to me. That way I'm not just talking into this empty room that's in front of me. As we hit the bottom of the hour, I want to remind you you're listening to the Sunday Sports Shootout here on WOUW 88.7 FM, broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University, Chicago. I'm coming to you from beautiful, scenic Dwight, Illinois. If you want to chime in on the conversation, shoot me a tweet or a DM at Schultz underscore seven. I still cannot take calls because we're working remote. But I still want you to chime in if you can. I'm working on maybe finding a way to have some people chime in. We'll see. Stay tuned on that. we got a whole new semester here on the show. i got a couple ideas I want to try to maybe work in. But back to Isaiah Mosley because I've got one more thing. I brought up those are NBA numbers. I think he should get some NBA looks. It would not surprise me if scouts have been doing their due diligence already. I believe, if I've got this right, I want to double check my timeline here. Isaiah Mosley's freshman year was my senior year. And if I'm, if I'm remembering this correctly, We had a reporter on press row for the Phoenix. And this is a detail I'm hoping gained some steam here. We had a reporter on press row who was sitting next to an NBA scout. Who the scout was from, I don't remember. Who it was, I don't remember. But there was an NBA scout on press row. And my reporter was talking to him. And he told the reporter, Tim, He told Tim, this guy's going to be an NBA player one day. That's a true story. Now you're seeing him from Missouri State right now. Let's look at the numbers. Points per game, 21.1 points a game. 52.3% field goal percentage. 45.2% three-point percentage. This does my heart good. 90.1% free throw percentage. Oh, and he's getting 5.4 rebounds a game. I definitely think that Isaiah Mosley has a shot at the NBA. Hopefully it's through the draft. He doesn't go undrafted. But I really and truly think you're watching an NBA player at Missouri State right now. But back to Loyola. 10-game winning streak comes to an end. The last time they lost was at the Battle for Atlantis to what should be the number one team in the country next week in Auburn. 30-game home win streak snapped as well. Let me put put it to you this way. I think I said this a couple weeks ago when I was talking about the home win streak. Loyola last lost at home in December of 2019. I covered that game. I was at that game on press row for the Loyola Phoenix. That tells you how long it's been since Loyola lost a home game. Isn't that crazy to think about? So Loyola suffers its first loss in conference play. Let's go over to the standings. Actually, first, no, I changed my mind. Let's look at the upcoming schedule because there are games today. Today in the Missouri Valley Conference, I'm sorry, there is a game today. Illinois State-Evansville. Now the upcoming schedule for this, this slate of games, Tuesday through Thursday. On Tuesday, Missouri State-Indiana State. And then Southern Illinois at Loyola. Both those games are on ESPN+. Plus. Wednesday, Bradley at Valpo. Northern Iowa at Evansville and Drake at Illinois State. And then Thursday I think this is the makeup game. One of these is the makeup game because there was COVID issues with Southern Illinois, I remember? Loyola at Southern Illinois part 2 on Thursday. So Loyola and Southern are going to play at Gentile Arena in Chicago, and then they're going to go down to Carbondale and they're going to go play again on Thursday. And then both teams turn around and play Sunday. So that's what's coming up in the upcoming Slate of games this week in the valley updated standings in the Missouri Valley after Loyola's first conference loss of the year. It is a statistical tie for first place right now. Loyola five and one Missouri State six and two. Drake is a close second at five and two. Northern Iowa five and three. Illinois State 3 and 3, Bradley 4 and 4, Southern Illinois 3 and 4, Valpo 3 and 5, Indiana State 1 and 5 and Evansville 0 oh and 6. So looking at this right now, we're about a third of the way through the season depending on which team you're looking at. Looks like we have our 9 and 10 teams. 1 through 8 I think is going to be a toss up. Those are your updated standings in the Valley. Good set of games this week, and I'm very, very curious to see how Loyola and Southern Illinois go. They play Tuesday. I'm curious to see how Thursday goes. I'm curious to see how Sunday goes. But that's the nature of where we're at with Omicron and COVID and game postponements all over. The standings are going to look a little weird. this is where we're at. I'm moving on from Valley Talk, but if you want to pivot back, I will. Just definitely tweet me, DM me, however you want to chime in. Because I have some stuff I want to get off my chest. And I've been stewing on this now for a couple, a day and a half now, I'd say. Friday night, I'm watching the Bulls game. As I normally do. And I'm watching this game, and I'm watching Alex Caruso back in, like, his second game back, second, third game back, whatever. Taking a – he stole it, taking it all the way, goes up to the rim, and he gets fouled hard and hits the ground. He hits the ground hard. He was fouled. By Grayson Allen. And what happened was he went to block the ball with his left arm, his left hand. All of a sudden, there's his right hand coming back around. And he hit Caruso again, and he fell to the ground. And I said at the time, he's lucky he's not seriously hurt. Well, yesterday afternoon, news came out. Alex Caruso suffered a fractured wrist. He is going to be reevaluated. That does not mean he will return. That means he will be reevaluated in six to eight weeks. The officials ruled a flagrant two on Grayson Allen. They ejected him from the game. He had a smirk on his face as he walked off the court. This is not the first time we've seen this kind of behavior out of Grayson Allen. I remember watching him at Duke, watching all of a sudden that right leg just stuck out and tripped a guy. This isn't the first time we've seen this. I've seen this movie before. And it happened again Friday night and man Bulls Twitter is hot. They are not happy. And a reminder here, let's just bring this up real quick. It's going to get really interesting March 4th to see what kind of reception Grace and Allen gets when the Bucks come to Chicago. It was a hard foul. It was a flagrant two. He should have been ejected. And I think he should be suspended for a while. If the NBA wants to make a point. I've been thinking about this since the news came out. Would I be this mad if it was anybody else who committed that foul? I'm not sure. I don't know if I can answer that question. But because it was Grayson Allen, I'm really mad about it. Okay, I would assume who stole the ball and got it to Caruso. Either way. Daryl Horwitz, former host of the show, who chimed in with that little tidbit, he chimes in here. Thoughts on the Caruso flagrant. I don't think Grayson Allen tried to hurt him. The ball was still at eye level after his first swipe, and he went for the ball and hit his head again. Caruso was already going to fall awkwardly before the second swipe. Since I watched the play so many times, I noticed Io only had one guy in front of him while Caruso had two players coming at him, so it wasn't an easy drop off for the bucket. Io had the easier shot. On the broadcast, Jeff Van Gundy mentioned three times about Io not taking shots when he's open. Kobe was also mentioned. Two of those times, but I don't think he's usually reluctant to take. Let me read that again. Reluctant to shoot, but I think Io often doesn't even look at the basket unless he's at certain areas of the court. What are your thoughts on that? Well, let's go to the first point about Grayson Allen. I... Let's remove the stuff we know about Grayson Allen in the past. Let's look at that as a basketball play. Let's say it was, let me think. I, mean, I just need a name. And I don't want to use like a superstar name, which is why I'm thinking hard about this. Let's say it was Kristaps Porzingis. Fine. I don't know why I'm thinking of Kristaps Porzingis, but fine. Let's say it's him. If it's him that does that, I know he's a bigger body. I would probably not be reacting the way I am. If it's, let's go with a guard under the radar, let's go with like Duncan Robinson. If it's him, I might not be reacting, okay, there's intent. I'd probably still call it flagrant too. But the fact that it was who it was, given, I mean, come on. You have to know what he did at Duke. I don't, I'm not going to say on the radio without knowing anything, without talking to him. I'm not going to come out here and say, oh, he definitely tried to hurt him. No, that's not what I do. That's not my job. I'm looking at this on TV. I can't, I, to say he tried to hurt him is a reach. So, yes, I will say, I'll just say without caution, like, yeah, he didn't try to hurt him. But that said, it was, he followed him way harder than he should have. I know he was still going to fall awkwardly. He, he got that extra swipe in there, and that turned him around. I mean, you watched it so many times. You, you watch Caruso. He's going up for the basket. He's already falling. That foul, it, it turned him around, and he tried to brace his fall with the wrist, and then he broke it. Fractured it. Sorry. As for Io, see, we've seen big games out of Io all year. I saw a stat he's averaging like 15 points a game when starting or something. He's had some big games. But he's still a rookie. And I said coming in, he was going to be a project, but he was going to be a really good NBA player someday. So with that in mind, with what Van Gundy said about Io, I mean, I noticed it too. Io had a couple open shots that he passed off. Now that game... Friday's game was also on NBC Sports Chicago, so I was watching that broadcast. I was watching Adam and Stacy. I wasn't watching. Was it Dave Pash and Jeff Van Gundy? I don't think it, it wasn't a Mike Breen game. I heard, I heard about that. Either way, I didn't watch ESPN. So yeah, I noticed that about Io, and I think Kobe. I think Kobe still falls into that mindset of, oh, I got to try to be a point guard. No, you don't have to try to be a point guard anymore. But yeah, Io, in certain areas of the court, maybe, I mean, that corner three, he's usually automatic. So I don't blame him for there, but he even passed up a couple corner three looks. I think it comes down to the fact that as big of games he's had, as big a role he's played all of a sudden this year, he's still a rookie. And rookie mistakes are going to happen. So, yeah, I don't, I'm not too worried about it. But I I do remember when the draft was coming around and I was sitting here calling for the Bulls to draft Io DeSumo. I remember a certain someone saying that Io wouldn't pan out in the NBA too. Uh, Daryl, I wish you could be on the phone right now. (laughs) I wish I could have you on the phone for that. Uh, He also chimes in, if Caruso made that play on Allen, would you think it was done on purpose? Caruso plays hard too, and so does Allen. Caruso does not have the reputation that Grayson Allen has. That's the problem here. That's the biggest issue with this entire thing, is the reputation that Grayson Allen has. That's the biggest reason why people are reacting the way they are. I mean, if it was the other way around, if it was Caruso on Allen, the, re- the reaction would not be as swift. Now, he even if it was Caruso, should have been a flagrant two, should have been ejected, probably should be suspended. But because of who it was in the past he has, as fans, and I'm not sure how the NBA is going to respond to this, but as fans, we're sitting here thinking we watched him at Duke Just saying, that's what makes this different. And even Billy Donovan post-game yesterday, or yesterday, on Friday, he was pretty blunt, pretty honest about that play. Like, he, he didn't mince words, which which is what I like about Billy Donovan he doesn't mince words you know where he stands he said quote it was really bad it was really really bad I'll just say this we lost Patrick Williams on a flagrant foul to a pretty significant injury and later on he says for Alex to be in the air like that for him to take him down like that it could have ended his career and he talk about Alan has a history of this that to me was really dangerous And Daryl chimes back in about Iota DeSumo. His shooting has been bad in games on national games. He's a rookie. Check it out. You can have a rep, but it doesn't mean it was on purpose, and most of the rep was from college. Yes, I wish we could be talking. Yeah, I agree. I wish we could be talking about this. Yes, the rep was from college, but it follows you. It's not like he played at, no disrespect to them, it's not like he played at GIC in the Horizon League or Loyola in the Missouri Valley. He played at Duke. He was one of the higher profile players at Duke. Yeah, I I mean, I see what you're saying. You can have a rep, but it doesn't mean it was on purpose and most of the rep was from college. So, I mean, that that follows you. So, yeah, I I mean, I, I disagree with you. I think his reputation is following him here, and that's why the reaction is so swift. So no, I, I I disagree about that. The rep follows you. You you do that at Duke. I say again, it's one thing to do it at a mid major school and maybe doesn't make the NCAA tournament. Maybe they just see a couple clips on Twitter and forget about you. He went to Duke. No, I disagree. I think the fact that it was who it was, that makes this that makes this the story it's become. And I know I'm not alone in that. I've heard people on TV, on the radio, talking about this as, this is Grayson Allen. That's the perspective they're coming at this from. Let's look at the updated standings, because the Bulls are not in first place anymore. They're a half-game back of Brooklyn. They're tied with Miami for second place in the Eastern Conference standings. Milwaukee's right back there at fourth. Cleveland is in fifth. They, Lowry Markman last night suffered an ankle injury. I did not see the video, but I guess it wasn't very good. Philadelphia's there at sixth. Charlotte's at seventh, and then you got a little bit of a drop-off to 8, nine, ten. So the Bulls right now, they're still in position, kind of for a top four seed. It's still early. I mean, they're they're 34 games in. Where some teams are 35 games in. A lot of basketball left to be played. I'll tell you what, I'm feeling really, really good about that Bulls over 41 and a half total wins ticket I got. Briefly, and we're going to talk more about this next week because I'm doing a full draft show on Wednesday on my podcast too. Next week we're going to talk NBA trade deadline because that's coming up. But this is another ripple to this whole thing. Lonzo Ball, I didn't talk about this yet because I got caught up in the Caruso mess. Lonzo Ball is having knee surgery. He's going to be out six to eight weeks. So you're losing your point guard. You're losing, essentially, your backup point guard and Caruso. Now at the deadline, you might need to go get somebody just for some depth. You needed to go get someone anyway. You need to go get a big. In my opinion, you need to get a big. Jeremy Grant has been a name that's come up. I'm not sure if I'm sold on Jeremy Grant. I'm not sure if that's a good fit for the price because the price apparently starts at Patrick Williams, who I'm not sure I want to part ways with. At least not yet. So we're going to talk more about the deadline next week, but this Caruso injury adds a whole new ripple to the deadline plans for the Bulls, or at least I think it should. I know they need to add someone. It's a matter of, do they add someone else here? Briefly before we moved on, one more thing from Daryl. Think about it. If he wanted to hurt him, he could have done it on the first try. He's tried to stop the play, and the ball was still at eye level. He missed a second time and hit his head. I Again, I get what you're saying, if it was any other player in the league. That's just where I'm coming from with it. I'm sorry, that's I'm not backing down from that. If it was any other player, I'd maybe be thinking that. But it was who it was, and that's why, that's why we're reacting the way we are as Bulls fans and Bulls personalities. All right, I want to talk Bears because we do – I didn't get to talk about this last week. Matt Nagy has been fired finally. I did not get to do my celebratory show last week. And Matt Nagy Ryan Pace and Ryan Pace, that's the important caveat here. I've been calling for Matt Nagy to be fired for weeks now. Ryan Pace also got fired. So now you've got a GM search and a head coach search. George McCaskey's press conference was as bad as it could be. That was a horrible press conference. It started out on a bad note when he gave condolences to Jeff Dickerson's family and brought up, he gave condolences to Parker and then used Parker to say Parker is a similar age to Matt Nagy's children and then proceeded to rip the Lake Forest or Cary Grove high school students who were chanting Fire Nagy at Matt Nagy's son during a football game. Just horrible, horrible transition there. I, mean, I just don't know where you draw that parallel, but whatever. That was just the tip of the iceberg. Bill Polian, that that Bill Polian, who is 79, is leading the search for a GM and a head coach. They have been doing interview after interview after interview, it seems like. So let's run you through. Let's get you caught up here. Who's on the Bears list? And this is a comprehensive list here from the Bears wire over at USA Today. A lot of candidates here. Let's start with the head coach. These are just the targets, and I'll tell you if they've interviewed or not. Saints defensive coordinator Dennis Allen. Buccaneers defensive coordinator Todd Bowles, who interviewed yesterday. Former Lions and Colts head coach Jim Caldwell, who I'll talk about in a second, interviewed January 15th. Brian Dable, Bills offensive coordinator, interviewed January 16th. Matt Eberflues, Colts defensive coordinator, January 17th. He's got a second interview requested. Former Dolphins coach Brian Flores, I'll talk about him in a second too. He interviewed January 15th. Bills defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier interviewed Friday. Packers offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett interviewed January 15th. Buccaneers offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich interviewed January 20th. Are you keeping track of these? Former Eagles head coach Doug Peterson interviewed January 12th. Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn, who has an interview scheduled for this week. That's 11 head coach candidates. Let's circle back to a couple names. Jim Caldwell has come up a lot, and reports are maybe suggesting that that's who Bill Polian wants to hire. I want nothing to do with him. Did not go well in Detroit. I don't want him want nothing to do with him. If that idea is even in George McCaskey's head, get rid of it. I don't want Jim Caldwell. It does not get me excited. It does not build for the future. Brian Dable. I'm not sure about how much he runs the ball. My two guys, if I could pick from this list of 11 head coach candidates, Brian Flores and Byron Leftwich. Now, Brian Flores was not supposed to be on this market. And I know he clashed with management in Miami, and I know that's been kind of a knock against him. But I guess the story goes, he, he being Brian Flores, wanted one quarterback. The general manager wanted another. The GM drafted Tua Tagovailoa. Flores wanted some kid named Justin Herbert. I guess that's where things started to go south. Byron Leftwich, he's young, but he he did okay with Jameis Winston. Obviously, having Tom Brady as your quarterback will increase your offensive production. I think the fact that Byron Leftwich played in the league and that he's worked with the greatest of all time, yes, I said it, the greatest of all time, Tom Brady. I think he could pass some really good lessons on to young Justin Fields because that's what this hire needs to be about. I've said this before. It needs to be about Justin. And if you want to groom Justin Fields for the future, Byron Leftwich is your guy. Now, Brian Flores could be your guy too, and he's why he's on my list. He's got to bring a strong offensive mind with him for an offensive coordinator. Cannot be some young guy who's been a quarterback's coach. No, you need a proven offensive coordinator in my book if you're bringing in a defensive-minded coach. And I'm not talking about Bill Lazor. I'm talking about a proven offensive coordinator, if you can do it. Those are my two guys. Let's go through the general manager candidates. I'm going to butcher this name. I believe it's Quezzi Adolfo Mensa, who is the Browns vice president of football operations. He interviewed January 13th. Morocco Brown, Colts director of college scouting, who is apparently really impressive. He interviewed January 25th. Interviewing January 25th. I'm like, wait, today's the 23rd. He's interviewing Tuesday. Rand Carthen, Ron Carthon, 49ers Director of Player Personnel, who we interviewed Thursday. Glenn Cook, Brown's vice president of player personnel, interviewed January 12th. Ed Dodds, who I'm actually going to take off this list because he withdrew from contention. But they talked to him. Saints Assistant General Manager Jeff Ireland interviewed January 15th. Champ Kelly, who's already in-house and I think is actually a pretty good football mind, interviewed January 13th. Omar Khan, Steelers Vice President of Football and Business Administration. He doesn't have an interview scheduled yet. Reggie McKenzie, Dolphins Senior Personnel Executive, interviewed January 20th. Monty Austinfort, Titans Director of Player Personnel, interviewed January 16th. Chiefs Executive Director of Player Personnel, Ryan Poles is someone they're apparently interested in. His interview hasn't been scheduled. They talked to Joe Shane, who's now the GM of the Giants. Former Texans GM, Rick Smith, is apparently interested. Patriots director of scouting, Elliot Wolf, interviewed January 18th. This list is getting long. Jojo Wooden, Chargers director of player personnel, interviewed to be determined. 13 GM candidates. And off this list, I, I don't know who I want. I mean, my gut says, but my first reaction is. Quezzi Adolfo Mensa, because he's Brown's vice president of football operations. I mean, that's where my first reaction went, but I guess Morocco Brown is really impressive as well. I think Rick Smith would be a really intriguing hire as someone who's done it before. But that's where the Bears are at. They're still doing interviews. This is a very thorough search. I know people have been not real happy about how thorough the search has been, but I think it's a good thing. I think that's a good thing. So that's where we're at with the Bears search. I don't know what's going to happen. We could get an update tomorrow that says they're settled on two candidates for head coach and GM, or we could not. We're going to have to wait and see. But you you know where I stand. I want Flores or Leftwich as the coach. I'd probably say Adolfo Mensa or Morocco Brown for GM. I'm just gonna call him Quezzi. It's gonna get really interesting. I mean, I don't, I don't mind that Phil Polian's leading the search. I like him better than Ernie Accorsi, but still, I don't want him going out there and hiring Jim Caldwell and let's just go with Morocco Brown from the Colts, just because he was with the Colts for so long. I want this to be an honest and true search. It sounds like they're doing that. They're interviewing the names that they need to interview, that they should interview. Now it's a matter of you've got to get it right. We have more updates on this next week. I am out of time. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening and interacting. And, yes, I, I know i just going to correct it again because I'm a moron. Porter Moser went to Creighton, coached at Illinois State. Cannot believe I had that slip of the tongue. I, that's when I spilled my coffee. So until next week, everybody, thank you again. Stay safe, stay healthy, wear a mask, get the vaccine when you can. Talk to you next Sunday here on the Sunday Sports Shootout on WLUW 88.7 FM. Stay warm and have an awesome week. Hopefully we have more bear stuff to talk about, maybe a head coach and GM to talk about as well. I'll see you then.